This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Today on State of the World from NPR, Israel orders a million people in Gaza to move and snapshots of life under siege. State of the World from NPR brings you global reporting with a human focus. I'm Greg Dixon. It's Friday, October 13th, and there's been a dramatic turn today in the Hamas-Israel conflict, as Israel ordered effectively half the population of Gaza to flee their homes ahead of an expected military assault. But those Gazans can only go to another part of Gaza, since the territory is sealed. At the same time, many Israelis are deciding to leave their country, and the U.S. is chartering flights for Americans. All that is Israeli bombardment of Gaza and Palestinian rocket fire into Israel continue. NPR's Daniel Estrin brings us stories of people leaving their homes. Gaza woke up to the news that Israel's military had ordered all residents of Gaza City and northern Gaza to leave for southern Gaza. In all of the wars Israel and Hamas have fought over the years, never has there been such an order. Israeli military spokesman Daniel Hagari. They knew that this would happen as a result of their brutal and ruthless massacre in Israel. We are not fighting the people of Gaza, the civilians, the residents. We are fighting the terrorist organization Hamas. Israel's military says it cannot guarantee the safety of people who remain. This evacuation order applies to more than a million people. NPR's producer in Gaza, Anas Baba, left with his family to southern Gaza and told me he saw families packed 9 or 11 to a car and those who couldn't afford the transportation left on foot. It's a catastrophe. There is people, okay, who walked 45 kilometers on foot. Families. But NPR's longtime driver in Gaza, Mohammed Dramli, was reluctant to leave. I reached him on the phone. His first grader, Aboud, was with him. Then Dramley put his dad on the phone, who said he didn't want to go anywhere. I'm not with Hamas. I'm just a human being, he said. I'd rather die at home. But the kids, I told him. If you stay, that means your grandkids will stay. Think about it. Think about it, I told him. But the thing is, where is half of Gaza's crowded population supposed to go? Lynn Hastings is the UN's top humanitarian chief here. She told me the UN is already sheltering 300,000 Palestinians, and their shelters could run out of food and water in days. There is absolutely no possibility of the United Nations to take in one million people who are fleeing from the north. We simply just do not have the infrastructure or the capacity. Egypt also shares a border with Gaza, but it's keeping it closed now. Egypt has shown no desire to host half of Gaza as refugees. In Israel, there are also people who want to leave, and unlike in Gaza, they can. At Israel's international airport, embassies have set up booths and card tables, organizing charter flights to help their citizens leave, including the U.S. Embassy. All American carriers have canceled flights to and from Israel. Jessica Shamriz is leaving her Israeli husband behind to take care of his parents while she goes with her two kids to her family in Colorado. 
How are you feeling now? Um, stressed. Just haven't eaten in a while. We feel safe in Tel Aviv, so it's really confusing when my family is panicking and telling us to get out as fast as we can to come to an airport without a flight. My family is just really panicked because we had family in the Holocaust that didn't get out. They chose to stay, and my family is reliving that trauma, so we're trying to not have happen what happened. After I leave the airport, NPR's Gaza driver, Mohammed Dramley, calls me. He and his family were finally on the road, headed south, when something happened. Our longtime driver in Gaza just called me and said that his dad went out of the car, said, I've changed my mind, I'm going back home, took a car and went home. Now our driver is just hasn't... Has, has no idea what to do. He's in the middle of the streets. The roads are full of cars of people fleeing, 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 and his dad got cold feet. He has no idea what to do. I'm going to call our former... I call NPR's former producer, Abu Bakr Bashir, who now lives in the UK. I just talked to um, Muhammad. Muhammad is saying, I'm exhausted, I'm exhausted, I'm exhausted. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. He's in the middle of the street. I told him I'd call you. Okay. Well, the other thing is, I've, I also asked other friends of mine and, and family and cousins to move to the south. One of my cousins, actually, his son was injured, okay, was hit. We didn't know how badly. Oh, my is. goodness. So the thing is, moving around with a car isn't safe either. I hope people leave, but I, I just cannot tell them to leave and they get hit while trying to leave. You know what I mean? By the end of the day, our Gaza driver calls with good news. His dad has finally agreed to evacuate with the family to southern Gaza. They're staying with another family. Can you finally relax a little bit, I ask him. He says, oh, There's no relaxation. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Tel Aviv. NPR's Aya Betraoui in Jerusalem has also been trying to get a picture of what life is like in Gaza. Again, with help inside Gaza from Anas Baba, and by making calls to those who still have enough power to charge their phones since there's no longer electricity, Aya compiled this glimpse inside Gaza before the evacuation was announced. And a warning, you may find many of the details in this report disturbing, and it includes the sounds of explosions. Gaza is under siege. There's no electricity, fuel, food, or water being delivered. The main power plant has shut completely. Hospitals are running on their last gallons of fuel for generators. Doctors and nurses are running on fumes. This is the sound of Gaza's biggest hospital, Al-Shifa. All of its beds are full, like all of Gaza's hospitals, clinics, and medical centers serving its population of 2 million. Every functioning hospital is at full capacity. The stream of wounded and dead, children covered in suit, women wailing for their kids, men unconscious and bleeding, is relentless. The hallways and waiting room are overflowing with children and women, all there waiting for a sibling or a child to be treated or saved. But there was a glimmer of hope, a life found under the rubble of a home, a baby boy brought out alive. Director General of the Palestinian Health Ministry, Dr. Munir Al-Borsh, held the baby boy in his arms. In my arms is a boy. We don't know his identity. A Palestinian ambulance brought him after his home was struck in the north of Jabalia. We still don't know his identity, but he's in good health. We're trying to use social media to help identify him. The doctor is protective over the baby, who's swaddled in a wrap and baby bonnet. 
They don't know where his parents are. He tells reporters gathered outside the hospital to move because the sun could be bothering the baby. But hundreds of other children can no longer see the sun. More than half of those killed in Israeli airstrikes and bombardment have been women and children. One Palestinian woman who holds dual citizenship in a Western country is frantically trying to get out. Her embassy has promised to try, but told her not to speak to the media. She wants to tell her story. We agree not to use her name for her safety. She talks about how impossible it feels not to have any water or electricity. The airstrikes are constant in Gaza. After catching her breath, she says her family has lost all contact with the people they love in other parts of Gaza. This is the fifth war or conflict with Israel in the past 15 years. Most of Gaza's population are young, around half are children. They've never left Gaza, a tiny strip of territory along the Mediterranean coast that's been under blockade by Israel and Egypt. But people in Gaza, those old enough to know, say this war, this time, is different. The scene is like that of an earthquake, but there are no international search and rescue teams or aid coming to help. Entire neighborhoods damaged, unlivable, turned to rubble. There's nowhere to seek shelter. At Gaza's El Shifa hospital, a man tells a paramedic there are bodies under the rubble in his neighborhood. They've been there three days, he says. The paramedic tells him, dial 101 quickly. He couldn't help. He was heading out to another neighborhood. Aid groups are raising the alarm. The International Committee of the Red Cross says the electricity shutdown of the main power plant will turn hospitals into graveyards if they don't get fuel. Doctors Without Borders says the people of Gaza are, quote, facing collective punishment from the total siege, indiscriminate bombing, and the pending threat of a ground battle, as more than 300,000 Israeli reservists stand ready at the Israeli-Gaza border. Israel says it is striking only the targets it knows to be of value. But Israeli military spokesman Richard Hecht acknowledges this war and its airstrikes are like nothing the Gaza Strip has experienced. We are not now just doing carpet bombing, uh, although there's some people that would like to see that, but that's not what we're doing. There is no target that we're going for or that is not based on intelligence. I repeat, there is no target that we're not going for which is not based on intelligence. And yes, it is bigger than they have ever seen before. Dr. Hossam Abu Safia at the Kamal Idwan Hospital in Gaza tells NPR he's seen things he's never treated in past wars. He says the hospital received a man with his kid. They died holding one another. The father was holding his son, and they died together, he said. In another scene he's witnessed, a mother died with her child on her chest. He says they tried, but couldn't take the child off. They'd been burnt so badly their skin had fused together. Dr. Abu Safia, who also works with the International Med Global Nonprofit, said in the flood of patients from an airstrike on a home packed with families, he found out later that two were his relatives. They were so badly injured, he hadn't recognized them. That was NPR's Aya Betrawi, and that included reporting from Anas Baba on the ground in Gaza. Aya checked in with Dr. Abu Safia again after the Israeli evacuation orders were given. 
He told her his hospital is too overwhelmed treating the stream of wounded from continuous Israeli airstrikes to evacuate. That's the State of the World from NPR News. We'll see you again soon. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR.